Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Kids Are All Night. I'm Jedi, and we've got Segoy, Avi, and Skylar here. And again, a shout out to our degenerate youngest brother, who we are trying to convince to join us. He's got lots of fun stories, and he's a very smart guy. And we're hoping that at some point he will join us. Jedi, Last you ep- need a thesaurus, because I need you a keep thesaurus. calling him degenerate. I, no, like the I, fifth no, time. I'm being I'm being intentionally <laughs> provocative. I'm being intentionally provocative here. I'm just so, saying there are other words. <laughs> so last episode we talked. Uh, Segoy and Skylar shared with us their uh, respective religious journeys and kind of what got them to where they're at today. And um, today, Avi and I will be sharing our journeys. And uh, actually, Avi, if you want to dive in first um i'll let you kick things off today all righty um so like we said we all kind of grew up in the same similar households um i think that as our parents had more children and those children got older their parenting style changed drastically um (laughs) so so i think that that also had kind of an effect on our um our you know child obviously how we perceived our childhood and um our relationship with our parents and then that for me that kind of bled over into um how i perceived church um we all were made to go to church um every sunday basically uh it was expected of us to kind of do what we were supposed to do at church in the prospective classes that we're in, right? So like young men's versus young women's and Eagle Scouts versus the medallions that the young women's give. Um, All of my friends until high school were Mormon. Um, They were, I, that's all I knew. I didn't have friends in school. Um, And so my whole life I was, it was very sheltered until I got to high school and then I had a lot more friends that weren't Mormon. Um, and then we moved to Alabama and I had uh, no friends. And then I had only friends that were Mormon and like two or three uh, friends at school. So I, was, I feel like my childhood in a social aspect was very sheltered. I did not have a lot of experience not being Mormon or with people who were not Mormon. Um, so I thought it was normal. I didn't, you know, drink sweet tea until I moved to the South and suddenly everyone drinks sweet tea from the time they're three years old and, you know, diet Coke. So it was like very kind of a cultural shock. Um, went to college at a church school and um, finally was able to kind of step out of my comfort zone, even though it was still very Mormon college, obviously BYU, Idaho, um, again, everyone was Mormon there. Um, Alex and I including got married. Your, including your brother who fed you dinner every Sunday, Sunday yeah. night. Yep. Including Jedi <laughs> who helped me get through. And then uh, don't even get me started. I'm still upset that there was that one kid in my ward that knew both Jedi and Skylar. <laughs> <laughs> I traveled halfway across the country to go to college and I still managed to find out that I was still Jedi's little sister. Um, okay, okay, everybody. So for, so for our, li- yeah, for, I yeah. was going to say, for our listeners, there's kind of a joke in our family. Um, but obviously, my name is Jedi Knight. It's a very 
you know, recognizable name. Um, and so people remember it, right? When they, when we meet, they remember my name. And so uh, obviously then, you know, they go out into the world and if they bump into a family member, they're like, oh, are you related to Jedi Knight? And so the, the joke in my family is that they can never escape to any place in the world <laughs> where there's not somebody that doesn't know me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fun story real quick. Um, the whole reason <clears throat> that I even dated my husband is because he didn't know you. So like the one person in the world that didn't know you. <laughs> nice. That's funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, although, although what's funny is that when I went to law school, uh, one of the people that lived in the same apartment complex I did and was in the same um, law class as me, New Year husband Segoy and was actually oh, really? good friends on his mission. Yeah, so there's that connection. That's there. funny. It's <laughs> a very small Mormon world. That is for sure. It is. Um, when you're Mormon, it's a very small world. Yeah, especially in the United 12 States. million of us. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, anyways, so I felt like I I was very sheltered. I and I also um felt like I had to do the things that were expected. Everyone in the South all of the Mormons in the South would go to a BYU when they graduated high school, they would either go to um, Utah or they would go to Idaho, or we had a couple that were lucky and got to go to the one in Hawaii. And so it was, it was almost expected like, yeah, she's Mormon. She's going to BYU. And so I went to BYU and I went to church and I, um, did the church things that I was supposed to do. I served in the presidencies. I never turned down a calling. Um, met my husband, got engaged after two weeks, married after two months, got pregnant before six months we were married. Um, he, we went to BYU together. Like it was very much like I felt like BYU, Idaho, it Idaho, was BYU, Idaho. Right. Yeah, BYU, Idaho. Um, so I, I just, I did the, the check marks, the things, you know, that, I feel like growing up were kind of pounded into me. Um, don't delay marriage. Don't delay putting off kids. Get your education. Um, go to church. Don't turn down a calling. Pay your tithing. All these things. And then um, we had Ryan and it, or we had my first son and it was really nice. Um, still continue to go to church. After my second child was born, I had very serious depression and um, postpartum depression. I had, um, I, I was ill during the pregnancy, um, in and out of the hospital. He was ill, um, had to be hospitalized in the NICU for two weeks. Um, after he was born, um, I stopped going to church because I just wasn't feeling well. Um, I was hospitalized for a psych hold, um, six weeks after he was born. Um, I was, suicidal, um, just super depressed. And it was a really hard time in my life. And I turned to the, the only thing I really knew, which was the church. Alex and I were still active. Um, I wasn't going to church all the time um, because I was sick. I was on bed rest. Um, and then I was, um, after C-section, I was on bed rest. And every waking moment I had, I was with my son in the hospital. Um, and so I stopped kind of going to church, but I was still, you know, reading my scriptures and I was praying. Um, and I felt people were coming over from church. Like I didn't feel abandoned by the members of the church, but I felt abandoned by God. Um, and it, it was a really hard time in my life and it lasted a really long time. Um, and I just felt like there was just nothing that I could do 
that could make me feel better. I was taking my meds. I was doing my therapy. I was still going to church. We were still reading um, the scriptures. I was fulfilling my calling. I taught Sundays or, you know, the little kids in primary. And I just felt there was nothing there. There was no connection um, between me and God as the way I saw him growing up um, and how I felt that I should feel. Um, I felt like I was living up to my end of the bargain and I was feeling very abandoned. Um, and so when um, my youngest child was, I want to say 18 months, maybe almost um, two years. Um, I told my husband, I was like, I am not doing church anymore. I I just need a break. Like I, I can't live up to the standards. I'm constantly comparing my life to those um, that I go to church with. And I know that that's not, that's not a church thing. That was just a me thing. Um, I felt like I wasn't good enough. So I told him I was just not going to go to church anymore. Um, so I stopped going to church. He continued going to church. He really, really got into it. Um, and um, that was kind of our life for a while. And then I did eventually start reading like some of the anti-Mormon stuff. Um, I don't know that that really has an effect on my religion or my religious beliefs. Like I don't not go to church because I read those things. Um, I just feel like now that I am, I no longer feel the pressure of being Mormon. Um, it's my life is my life. It's just so much better for me. I, I, and, and I know that no one at church was putting that pressure on me. Mom and dad weren't putting that pressure on me. Um, my leaders weren't putting that pressure of you have to do these things to be a good Mormon. It was solely me. And that's part of, you know, who I am. Um, and I probably should go to some kind of therapy for it, but I just felt like once I stopped trying to live up to those standards, I was much happier. My home life was much happier. And even though my husband was still going to church and he was still believing um, very strongly, we would discuss his Sunday school lessons all the time. Uh, it didn't interfere. I felt like our marriage was stronger because of it, because he was so much understanding. There were some rocky parts um, where he didn't quite understand why I was wanting to do that. But um, now I feel like just our marriage, I'm a much happier in general person. I'm still, um, you know, life still kind of gets me down every once in a while, but I just don't feel that pressure. I, I felt like a weight was kind of lifted off of my shoulders when I decided that I no longer wanted to live the standards the church had put out. Um, and it wasn't because I wanted to go out and get drunk and I didn't want to go out and sin as, you know, some people say people leave the church for. It was just, I just, I felt like it was an impossible standard for me to live by. And I feel better now that I don't have to live up to those standards. Um, I'm not going out and partying all the time. Um, I do drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I have a couple of tattoos. I pierced my ears for the first time. Um, <laughs> just regular piercings, but it, it's, it's just my life. I feel like it's so much better. I do believe that there's a God. I still believe in, um, you know, in Christ. And I still believe in aspects, you know, of the atonement, not strictly how the Mormons view it, but I just, I feel like if God sent us to this earth, then he would just want us to be happy. And so I'm happy. I'm doing what I think makes me happy and I'm not harming other people. And I think that that for me, for my family, that's most important. And I don't, 
have any hard feelings. I still have a lot of friends that go to church and I don't have any hard feelings for them. I'll occasionally go to an activity um, with the, you know, the women at church and it's, you know, fun. It's just, I've just decided and that it's not really for me anymore, but I'm still, you know, I still kind of believe that there could be a God can't disprove it. Can't prove it. But that's just kind of how I feel about how we grew up. And I think that part of the pressures that we had growing up um, from mom, mom and dad about, um, you know, going to the young women's classes and going to seminary in the mornings. And it almost felt like we were forced to choose between things we wanted to do versus things that we were expected to do. And, um, and, and I always tried to do what was expected of me because I just wanted to make people happy um, and please with my, you know, um, actions. And so now I don't, you know, care. I don't, I don't give a care in the world about what other people think of what I do. Um, and I think that that, that definitely has made my life, my family happier, at least, you know, our little neck of the woods over here. Thank you for that, Avi. I, I, I think that at one point or another, we've all kind of felt that pressure of expectations and leaving, living up to expectations. And how, how do we as adults, how do we as individuals learn how to cope with that? How do we um, live our life? Do we live up to those expectations or do we set our own expectations? Yep. And I think at the end of the day, the only thing you can do is set your own expectations, regardless of whether they match somebody else's or not. Yeah. It doesn't matter so much. So um, I like that. Thank you. So Avi, um, I have to make a confession. I used to call your phone and leave surreptitious messages that you were not living up to your standard, to the standards. And uh, <laughs> I, I think that I got into your head. And, I believe and it. I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it, Jedi. I believe it. I know so, Jedi and I butted heads when I was in Idaho. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say that that was due to a person who will not be named. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, and now, Jedi, I, I can't I, blame just on. one person. Honestly, sure, sure. I, I, you know, my when I was doing therapy and I was seeing a psychiatrist after my bout of postpartum depression... I, you know, she did tell me that I do have a, a strong streak of perfectionism. And so I felt like if I, part of the reason I decided to just give it all up was because I feel like I couldn't do it good enough. And, and, and it's no one person's, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't feeling pressure from a lot of people to like, oh, you're not, you're not keeping a journal. Oh my gosh, you're a bad Mormon. Like, no, no one ever said things like that to me or made me feel that way. It was my own personal, like, I'm not doing all of the things that we should be told to do, that we are told to do. I am not doing that. I do it at work. I, I do it at work. I do it in my personal life. It's very hard for me to be a mom because when um, my youngest child wears sweatpants to school that are two sizes too small, but he absolutely loved them, I feel like a failure. <laughs> and so, <laughs> like, and that's just me. Like, I feel like that, and that's just me. I'm if I can't do it perfectly, I almost don't want to do it at all. Um, and so I felt like I couldn't do Mormonism perfectly. And so it was making me incredibly unhappy. And that's part of the reason I had to give it up was because I, I, I couldn't disconnect. 
I couldn't say I can yeah. do Mormonism how I can do it. I, ha- I feel like I had to do it perfectly. Um, and so I, I had to completely just kind of block out that part of my life. You know, that's, I mean, I think that that's a lot of, a lot of people in the church. Um, that's a, a, a very, very common thing that I have heard, you know, throughout my life uh, from people in the church, right? Of this feeling of, I can't, you know, even mom said this to me one time, you know, she said it's it, 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 that at some point she had to come to acknowledge that no, she's not perfect. And no, she doesn't, you know, her hair's not perfect every Sunday and her clothes are not perfect in the best clothes. And, you know, her clothes, her kit, you know, her house is not perfectly clean, but that God loves her. God loves her anyways. And um, she's, she's good enough. Right. And I, I think there are a lot of people in the church who acknowledge that have felt the same way that you felt Avi. And um, you know, they were, they've obviously found ways to, work with it just just as you are you have found ways to work with it um i think that's kind of a a great segue into my you know my personal journey i'm very similar uh to avi in that sense and that's probably why we butted heads a lot uh not just at byu idaho no (laughs) at home as well we're way too similar Um, and um so you know my so just kind of where my state is, if, if you, if you had to put like a label on what my religious beliefs are right now, I'd definitely say I'm agnostic, um, not apathetic, but I, I, I'm just not, you know, I'm not sure what to believe or, um, you know, what's right. And at this point in my life, I'm not endeavoring to find out more, um, because I, you know, I just haven't reached that point where I'm ready to do that. So I was, you know, as everybody else raised very, very religiously. And in a lot of ways, I, I kind of feel like I, I thrived in that environment. There, there was kind of a, when I was a teenager, um, just before high school, probably in eighth grade, I want to say, I, I kind of had this pivotal moment, I remember, where I, I sat back and I said, I need, I need to make a choice. Am I going to, am I going to be a good Mormon, right? Or am I going to go this other way? I had a lot of friends that were not members of the church um, and they were living a, kind of a different lifestyle and making different choices. And from a, in an, a, you know, from a non-religious objective perspective, a lot of those choices were really bad life choices, but I saw that because of how I was raised, I saw that in the context of religion. I said, these guys are not religious. Do I want the life they have or do I want a different life? And I, I made the choice to lean in to the church and put a lot of effort into that. And I made the choice to believe, right? And, if I, and I look back every once in a while, I look back on journals that I wrote. I was not very consistent at journaling, but I did it a lot. And um, that they kind of reflect that that desire to to be more like god right to be more like christ to try and live a good mormon life right and they really reflected this very deeply held belief that i had that you know god was real that the the church was true you know that joseph smith was a prophet that you know checkbox things right um 
And so I, you know, I kind of followed this path and I followed it and, you know, wavered a little bit right out of high school again and trying to find my own way. And, um, you know, one thing that I, I really struggled with right out of high school is I, you know, I didn't go on a mission and there were a lot of people who um, were expecting that of me. I, I was, again, I was a very, very faithful person and always expressed a desire to go on a mission. But really, when it came down to, you know, the time to do that, I, I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready in my own, you know, personally, but I also from, you know, what the church's standards were, I, I wasn't ready. And it just was never happening. And that friction, that friction was horrific for me personally, and put me in a really dark spot, kind of mentally. Um, and a lot, I felt a lot of things kind of collapsing around me. Um, I had, you know, I had at one point a full ride scholarship to Arizona State University. I did my freshman year at Arizona State. Um, and in my sophomore year, I just like, I felt like I couldn't, I felt like I had this heavy blanket on me every day trying to get out of bed, you know, trying to do things. And, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't recognize at the time that I was likely very, very depressed, um, and I just felt like something was going on in my life, right? And and so I actually dropped out of college my um, the first semester of my fresh my sophomore year, and gave up that scholarship and said I'm gonna go try and do something different. I had no idea what that something different was gonna be. I, uh, you know, I all of my friends or the majority of my friends were LDS, and I I had a really great group of friends. Um, in the church and was still going to what are called singles wards. It's essentially churches for single Mormons. <laughs> and because the, purpose, the goal is to get married. Exactly. And the purpose is meet other single Mormons, get married, get out of here. Right. Um, and so uh, that's what I did. I went there and um, still struggling, trying to figure out, do I go on a mission? Do I not? What do I do? Um, I met you know, I met someone there and I decided to pivot. I said, what's happening right now in my life is not working. I need to go a new direction. And so I, um, so I got married and, uh, right when I was 21, very, very young, when I tell people, um, who are not Mormon that I got married when I was 21, they're like, did you have a psychological disorder or something? <laughs> oh, they <laughs> um, ask me the same thing when I say I agreed to marry my husband after two weeks. So, <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, I think back on getting married at twenty and think, oh my gosh, I was a baby. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have so. the same feeling. Although, if we, I mean, if we look at it, mom and dad have been married for thirty-six years and they only dated for two weeks. Two weeks yeah, right? my husband's so. parents were the same way. They only dated for two weeks. I, I will attribute that, though. I will attribute mom and dad's success in marriage to mom's never-ending patience with dad. Yes. <laughs> dad, we love you, but we all know mom's the one who makes it work. So anyways, I got married. Um, there's a lot of stuff that happened <laughs> in, I, you know, I, I'd have to fast forward 12 years in my life. There's a lot of stuff that happened. Um, and, I, you know, we don't really have time to kind of dive into everything that happened. Um, I will summarize those maybe 12 years uh, with, you know, maybe one or two statements that I, you know, I, I was thriving in the church, um, but 
I was struggling in my marriage um, constantly. Um, and there was this constant kind of friction there. And it, it was a, it was a constant battle. I felt like, and, you know, one of the things that the church, that at least that I learned from the church, uh, you know, was that uh, marriage is eternal lasts forever. Right. So I'm in my, uh, I was in my third year of law school and um, having a lot of, a lot of trouble in my marriage and really struggling. And I, again, was struggling with some depression by this, by this time in my uh, life, I had learned how to handle it a lot better. I'd gone through some very, very difficult experiences and put, you know, the people, you know, closest to me through a lot of crap, a lot of crap in my life. Um, but I, you know, I stepped up and I learned how to handle um, some of my own personal things, right? And um, so, I, you know, I'm in my third year of law school. Law school is tremendously stressful. And then add on, add on to that the, uh, you know, the stresses of having a marriage that is not working, um, and I remember I was, you know, one night I was talking with a close friend, um, and just kind of, I, I, I kind of talked myself into something, right. I, I found myself saying this, right. I found myself saying, I don't want to stay with this person forever. Right. And if it that's what eternal marriage is, then I don't want it. You know, if, if that's what the church is offering and if that's what God's offering me, I don't want to take that deal. Right. Even though I, you know, I'd already been in it for at, at that point, I want to say um, nine years and it kind of, it kind of started this um, waterfall of ideas in my head. Right. And, and one of the things I, one of the things I kind of stumbled on was, um, you know, if God, so we start with this assumption that God is just, God is fair, right? And I asked myself this question, if God is just, would he really require me to stay with someone that I didn't feel like I could be with for eternity, right? Is he going to, is he going to make that happen, mm -hmm. right? And it started, it really started this cascade of, of, of other thoughts and, it was kind of at that point in my life, which I had never really entertained before, um, was when I thought, well, what if the church isn't true? And uh, it was just that little seed, you know, and I start, you know, I kind of started nurturing that, if you will. And I said, okay, well, what would my life look like if I weren't Mormon? And um, being at... BYU for law school, <laughs> um, you have to go to church. Like that's the rule, right? If you're Mormon and you're at BYU, you got to go to church every Sunday. And um, so I kept going to church, but at the same time, you know, kind of simultaneously, I found myself saying, uh, asking and kind of pondering some of these questions of it, is it not, you know, what if it's not true? What if it's, you know, what if what I've believed my entire life doesn't represent reality. And I had conversations with a lot of people who are much smarter than me and much more faithful than I am and talking about this. And one of the things I was surprised about is, you know, one man who I respect a lot, a very intelligent person and 
um, as far as I understand, still very active in the church, you know, he, he said, well, maybe you should chase this a little bit and maybe that's what you need to do. And so that's what I did. Um, and I, and you know, it wasn't an immediate thing. And we, we being Mormon, there's kind of like signals, right. Of I'm a Mormon, right. For example, you don't drink, you don't smoke. And Avi brought those up, right. You don't, get tattoos. You don't have, if you're a woman, you don't have more than one piercing in your ear. If you're a man, you don't have any piercings at all. Um, and you do, you kind of live in a certain way. And it's one thing that has made, you know, garnered Mormonism in general and Mormons, you know, the respect in the world, right. Is because, you know, for example, if you say, Oh, he's a Mormon, they, you, there's an automatic assumption. Oh, he's not going to drink, smoke, do drugs, a good person, going to be very, you know, tidy and that kind of a thing and how they live their life. And so, um, I, you know, when I left the church, I, again, it was kind of a cascading effect of, I, you know, I didn't start out like saying, okay, I want to leave the church so that I can go, uh, get blasted on Saturday nights, right? But, you know, that's not what I, why I was leaving or what I was doing. Um, and again, to Avi's point, there's there's this stigma when you leave the church of, well, they're just leaving the church so they can go mm-hmm. do bad things, right? And I think, I think for me, it was more, um, there was a catalyst of, there was something happening in my life that that didn't match up with what I felt I was being taught at church. And it kept, they kept butting heads for years and years and years, butting heads, butting heads until finally I said, well, I, I, maybe I need to change my perspective. And so, you know, again, after, after a while, I just kind of said, I I think I'm, I think I'm done with the church. And I, I told my um, wife at the time, uh, who's now my ex-wife that I didn't want to go to church anymore. And that was very hard for her. It was very hard for her family. I was, I was close to her parents, especially, um, mom and dad handled it pretty well. Uh, actually, um, you know, I think that they kind of understood where I was at in life and they understood what the, the friction was. Um, and what's interesting is that after I left the church for about, uh, I want to say maybe a year and a half to two years, I, I really tried to say, okay, I need to prove to myself that I wasn't just unhappy with my marriage and that's why I left the church. And so I, you know, I put in a good faith effort, I felt like to try and make that marriage work. And eventually that did not. And uh, eventually we got uh, divorced. Um, and, you know, what? one thing that was interesting is that uh, a lot of, th- there's a lot of boogeymen out there, right? for if you're Mormon and you have doubts, there's a lot of boogeymen of, well, your life is going to be so terrible after you leave the church or, and, and even with getting divorced, you know, everybody would say, and my ex-wife would say this constantly, well, we can't get divorced because life is so horrific on the other side of divorce. You shouldn't get divorced because you're going to be poor and you're going to be, you know, life is just terrible and your kids' lives are going to be absolutely ruined. And one of the things that I decided is I'm in control of my destiny. I, I decide what happens in my life, right? I decide how I treat my children. I decide how I raise my children. I decide how I live my life and how I conduct my life and how I conduct myself as a person. I decide how I treat other people, right? So I don't have to be Mormon to still treat people well, right? I don't have to be, 
you know, I don't have to be Mormon and married to have a good relationship with my kids and be a good father to my kids and provide a good home for my kids. And getting myself into the mindset of being able to accept that, I think has been a big part of my journey and is what kind of has brought me here to where I'm at today. Um, and to Avi's point, I actually do have a few tattoos um, as well. One of my favorite ones is on my chest over my left, uh, on the left side of my chest. Uh, I have each of my kids' names. And uh, I got that at because uh, for a while I had a job where I was just traveling everywhere. And um, I was never home. I was all over the world, everywhere, but Provo, <laughs> Utah, which was home at the time. And it was, I rarely got to see my kids it, and it was very, very difficult. And I was like, man, how do I, how do I connect with my kids? I thought, well, what if I just take them with me everywhere I go? And so I got this tattoo. I was, uh, when I got it, I was actually in Pittsburgh. Um, and I remember after, right after I got it, I called the kids, you know, we did a nightly phone call. I called the kids and, uh, I showed them the tattoo. And I think, you know, my oldest, uh, kind of didn't know maybe how to take it. He's a little more, aware of the church's teachings and how tattoos kind of con are contrary to that. And um, the same with my daughter, um, but my two youngest kids, they, they just grabbed onto that. And they would ask me every time you call, say, dad, you got our names still, right? You have our names. We're mm -hmm. with you. Right. And it, it was, and you know, now that I'm off of the road, I'm at home, um, and I, you know, I see them every week and uh, they still, you know, they'll still every once in a while, maybe if I'm not wearing a shirt or something, uh, especially my youngest, he'll come up and he'll have me read the names. He said, who's this one? Who's this one? Oh, this one's me, right? Yeah. And it's this connection um, in a very deep way that I have with my kids. Um, and to me, it's a, it's been a symbol of I can still be a good person. I can still do good things, right? I, and I'm the one who, can, who decides what my destiny is going to be. So that's been my journey. Um, uh, that's where we're at today. I would like to thank everyone. It does Real it, quick, by the way, I... before we kind of close out. Yeah, anybody? I do. Yeah, I do have ahead. something I want to say. Um, Listening to your guys' stories, listening to Skylar's story before, and then telling my own story, um, it, it's become very obvious, and I, I knew this, but it's become very obvious to me that religion isn't something that can be anybody else. Your religion is you. You have to go through a journey. You have to look within yourself, and you have to understand yourself in order to have your own religious beliefs, whether those are um, part of a part of a, an established religion or part of or not part of an established religion, whether you're leaving it or joining it, whatever it may be, it's something you have to look within yourself. Every single one of us had a moment where we, or a moment that lasts a long time, <laughs> perhaps, but a moment. Well, a moment doesn't actually sure, specify sure. an amount of time. 
Thank you. All right, thank Miriam. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, but we had a moment that we had to look within ourselves. We had to ask questions of ourselves. We had to understand ourselves. And we had to accept what we found within ourselves and, and figure out how to go forward once we found that. And it's an intensely personal journey. And nobody else can take that journey for us. And that's actually, you know, that's something that I learned from the church. You have to have your own testimony. Your parents' testimony isn't going to last. But to some extent, when you're starting your life, you have your parents' journey is influencing you. But there is always a point where, where you have your own journey that you have to take to understand yourself and to understand your relation to the world around you, to understand your relation to um, God, whether you believe there is one or not. Um, and to learn how to be happy in your life and who you are and how to make decisions according to your own conscience. And I think that's something that we all did. Every one of us have done this journey. It's very clear. And we came to wildly different ends. And that says quite a lot about humanity and about people and about um, you know, who we are as very individual people. You know, I, and I'm going to throw something out there as well. I think that has implications for the kind of society we live in. What, you know, that I, I think our religious journeys, that's a very uniquely kind of American or Western yes. kind of thing, right? Where it, it, where the way that our society is structured, that's kind of an acceptable thing. There's a lot, there's a lot of tolerance, right? For, and especially if you look at like our families, for example, uh, our, you know, our parents and t tended to be, you know, accepting if not, or they tended to tolerate it. And, you know, we still have good relationships with our parents. And, um, and the same with, you know, friends and other family, it, is a lot of them for the most part tended to tended to accept that right and i think that speaks volumes about you know our freedom to be able to do that we at some point uh in the future we definitely have to do an episode on the larger implications of religion for society and of individual belief for society i agree I think that's a fascinating fascinating topic but for now we are way over on time I uh, want to thank our listeners for bearing in there with us and letting us uh, share some of these very personal stories with you. And we will be with you guys again soon. Mm -hmm.